Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, NBA Finals in the rearview mirror. We do have baseball playoffs, but you know what we need to do right now? The Utes and the Aggies are starting up. The Cougars are already rolling with a big game with Houston. Need to focus on some college football. We're going to start with the Utes, and we're going to move on to the Cougars here in the opening hour. We're going to start with the Utes and the strength of the team. And I really do believe this. Um, you know, it's the strength of the team is the offensive line. If you're going to get better, you're not going to bring in players who were better than the guys you had last year. You're not going to replace Zach Moss, the all-time leading rusher in school history, with the all-time leading rusher in school history who's even better than Zach. That's not how you're going to prove. You're going to have to do it different ways. You're going to have to improve with players who play different positions and improve some of the weaknesses you had a year before. And this year, the strength is supposed to be the O-line. Well, that's awesome. Because if the O-line is really good... And they're not saying that the O-line's really good at run blocking or pass blocking. They're saying the offensive line's really good. So that's going to help whoever the back is, whichever guy wins it, or if it's running back by committee. Honestly, and, and you couldn't do it with Moss because he's just too good. But I really liked it when the Utes have had two backs and have had like a 70-30-80-20 split. Slightly different styles, keep a fresh guy in the game, keep the offense off balance. Maybe one guy's a better receiver. So if if it's running back by committee, I know some of you cringe when you hear that, but it wouldn't bug me based on who the two guys are. When you start saying three and four guys, then I just figure none of your guys are any good. But if it's two guys, I don't have that big an issue with it. And if the O-line's good... Awesome. And for those of you who want to see them throw more, they got tight ends, they got, uh, they got a core of receivers. If the old line will give the quarterback time to throw, guys will come open. So if the offensive line is good, it is a huge, huge positive. Jim Harding, O-line coach for the University of Utah. Here he is with the media talking about his old line on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Hey, Jim, good morning. How are you? Good, how are you? Good. Um, Nick Ford has shown himself to be pretty versatile here. He's played a bunch of different positions. Do you envision him moving back to left tackle and staying at left tackle this season, or might he move around some? Well, I I think that depends on the development of some of the younger guys in the program. Uh, As it sits today, he will be uh, playing left tackle. Uh, However, uh, again, the development of those those younger tackles could potentially move him back inside. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I think he gives us some stability out there. I think he's got a lot of ability at left tackle. And, and if I were to guess right now, that's probably where he'll end up staying. Next up is Trevor Allen with KSL.com. Yeah, Jim, I just wanted to talk about Simi Mawala. I mean, he's a guy who, you know, moved over from from defense to offensive line and just talk about how he, he's able to get to that point. And he, he was a pretty he was a pretty big part of that O-line last year. Yeah, he did a great job and in, in very limited experience. Uh, as you mentioned, he came over from defensive line. I just see a lot of similarities between him and, and Sam Tevy. Sam Tevy was another player that uh, – started out as a defensive lineman, came over, uh, took him some time to, to get acclimated to the offensive line. And I, I think, you know, with hard work and, and uh, assuming to continue to progress, uh, I could certainly see that same trajectory as, as what uh, Sam Tevy had a, a few years ago. Next up is Bill Riley with ESPN 700. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Good. How are you, Bill? 
I'm doing terrific. Um, you've got most of your line back intact from a year ago, and a lot of the guys have played some time for you as well. Um, I know you guys are always talking about growth and improvement. What are some of the areas you guys have identified along the line where you'd like to see some growth and improvement this year? Well, from a schematic standpoint, we got to do a better job handling movement up front, uh, both in the run game and then also uh, in twist pickup, things like that, and in pass protection. And so today will be our first day in pads, and I think that'll give us an opportunity to be a little bit more aggressive and, and have a little bit more of a realistic, uh, you know, look at how we are handling it. And uh, that will be something that will be addressed uh, essentially daily. Uh, in our individual drills, but that's something that, that we got to get better at, and it's it's not a secret. So uh, certainly a point of emphasis for, for the offensive line. Next up, we have Josh Furlong, followed by Dirk Facer. Hey, Jim, obviously you, you guys are looking for a new quarterback, but with Jake and Cam or, or Drew, uh, what, what challenges does that present for an offensive line? Are they, are they similar enough that it, that it that it doesn't really matter or, or what are those challenges that, that you have to work through with, with that group? Truthfully, I, I think all three of them uh, have done a great job up to this point. Uh, I do not see a, a huge adjustment needed for the offensive line between any of the three. Uh, it's going to be a great, you know, camp uh, in terms of uh, those three battling it out. And uh, you know, whichever guy wins the battle uh, will be fine as an offensive line. So I, I don't think it really, uh, affects us at all. Next up is Dirk Facer. Jim, I hope you're well. Everything good and going good? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Hey, I was going to ask you, what, what was the biggest challenge during the pandemic? Is it the lack of contact or what challenges continuity-wise does the offensive line need to make up for that was maybe lost over the summer? Yeah, you know, the, the thing that we missed – really not necessarily just on the field, but being around each other. I, I think the offensive line is a tight knit group and, and everybody's spread out across the country. And even when they are back here in town, we're asking them to be really smart, try to stay away from uh, any sort of, of uh, large gatherings. And so, you know, and I think every team in the country is facing that, that, you know, you have a bunch of kids that really care a lot about each other, but you're not really allowed to have that interaction with what they're, you know, to what they're used used to, and so uh, certainly uh, it's a challenge, but it's not a challenge that uh, anyone else isn't dealing with either. Oh, thanks, Jim. Thank you. Next up is Josh Newman, followed by Trevor Allen. Jim, specifically with Orlando, um, a center like that having having played in so many career games and, and started so many career games, how beneficial is it to have a guy like that? at center as you do try to break in a new quarterback? Yeah, you know, Orlando has, has really developed through the years. You know, he's, he's done a very nice job, and we continue to add things to his plate in terms of protection calls, and and uh, he's always identified the the defense. But uh, having that consistency certainly does help, and, and really what it does is the focus now is to continue to develop depth there. Uh, and, uh, you know, like I said, he's, he's – He's done a nice job, and, and uh, somebody had mentioned uh, earlier about the uh, quarterbacks. You know, it, it doesn't matter who that quarterback is, and that stability, I think, provides a level of comfort for the quarterbacks. Next up is Trevor Allen, followed by Steve Bartle. 
There's actually been a lot been, been said about Keaton Bills and and his his uh, ceiling. Where is his ceiling, and 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 where, where does he fit in as far as your your depth on the offensive line? I, I think he has a, a tremendous amount of ability. He's continuing. You know, somebody had uh, mentioned earlier about Simi Mawala moving over. Same thing with Keaton Bills. He came in, and and uh, we needed some depth, and and did a really nice job the first week of spring ball. Then unfortunately, he gets injured. Uh, but he's bounced back. He's healthy. Uh, he's continuing to learn the the finer points of offensive line play. And right now, you know, he's he's in the battle for for one of those two guard spots in uh, you know on the inside of the offensive line. Hey, coach, um, I want to ask you about Bamadelio Lasini? Obviously, with the loss of practice time, it's tough to to really evaluate. But have you seen progress out of him in the things that you have been allowed to do? I have, uh, you know, there, there are some, some things he naturally can do well. Uh, you know, I would like him to play more consistent in terms of his speed off the ball, his overall uh, understanding of the concept, things like that. But there is a tremendous amount of improvement. Uh, you know, I know that he was a highly touted recruit. And, you know, that it, once we put the pads on today, there's going to be some really good competitions in terms of who's going to be in that starting five. And then, you know, who's going to be in that travel team, the, the top 10. So uh, BAM is certainly a part of that mix and it will be a great competition uh, starting today with the pads on. There's Jim Harding, University of Utah offensive line coach, talking about his line. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I turn our attention to BYU. Gunnar Romney, BYU wide receiver, has made some big plays, been able to get down the field. And Troy Warner, uh, who uh, you talk to people who talk to BYU people all the time, turning into one of the best interviews on the team. It's a quote right out of Yach's mouth. Yach does not miss a BYU Zoom session, trust me. Uh, so we'll hear from those two guys coming up. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, it's BYU and Houston. A battle of undefeated teams. You know, most Octobers, that'd be something. Well, it's something now. It's a 4-0 team that we feel like is largely untested. Tested only by themselves in Game 4. And 1-0 Houston. And if you watch that Houston game, it's hard to know who Houston is. They um, The first 20 minutes were a disaster. Uh, they had three turnovers. Uh, two of them... Uh, were scoring plays for Tulane. Uh, one was a scoop and score. One was a basically fall on it and tumble across the goal line from the one or two yard line. But down 24-7, you got to give it to Houston. They stayed poised, they kept battling, and they blew Tulane away, which is hard to do when you're down 24-7 in the second quarter. But they outscored him 42-7 and came back for the 49-31 win. And it was really quite comfortable. In the third quarter, you knew Houston was going to win the game. Uh, the quarterback... Uh, threw for uh, over 300 yards, but they only had one receiver who was over 50 yards receiving. And they only, they didn't have any running back over 60 yards rushing. It was uh, receiver by committee, running back by committee largely, and they spread the ball around, but they got a lot of athletes. 
They got speed all over the field. So how will the BYU defense handle that? Well, here's Troy Warner of the Cougars to talk about Houston and BYU. I've been asking the guys, and I want to get your opinion because we've talked before about the leadership element. You guys had a game where things weren't going your way, and you know you kind of had to fight through that. As a leader, what does it take? What 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 steps do you have to take in those in those times when things are down to to make sure everybody's on the same page and and playing to the best of their ability? Yeah, I think it's uh I think it's important, you know, as a as a leader to just kind of keep 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 the guys level headed, you know, even when the emotions are high, uh, you know, a team or a a drive doesn't go our way. I think it's just important that we kind of keep guys in it, keep our heads in it and uh just help them not to dwell on it. Uh really just think about the next play and and what they can and what they can do the next series uh to do better. But yeah, we dealt with some adversity for sure during that game and uh uh, I'm, I'm glad we I'm glad we grinded out the window. You've played a lot of football with Isaiah, and he's another one of the leaders, obviously, on this team. How big was his performance as just far as, as the defense as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Isaiah, you know, he he. I feel like it's every game he's having a he does really well and has a great game, and uh, he's a he's really good for us, and we're glad that we have him on our side. Um, as well as a lot of other guys that played really well during that game too. Uh, felt like it was a collective effort and, you know, we had some MAs, but we're going to get them cleaned up and, and we're excited for the new opportunity this week. Thanks for doing this. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about your quarterback. When you, um, when he comes onto campus and, and he, he earns a starting job as a freshman, what did you know, as an upperclassman, what did you see out of him? Not just, well, first of all, on the field, going up against him that made you think, oh, we may have something here with this kid. And um, he seems to have a lot of confidence and energy and swag to his game. Does, did, did that come out early when you sort of got, got a chance to know him a little bit and, and compete against him in practice? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, me and Zach have a, have a, actually a great relationship, but I, I feel like it hasn't always been that way. When he stepped on campus – uh, you know, a lot of young guys, especially quarterbacks, they come in and they're a little bit timid and, you know, they're just kind of trying to find their way. But Zach was the complete opposite. He stepped on campus and he thought he was the best best thing since sliced bread. Uh, he was he, – he just thought he was the greatest thing. And, you know, I, I, I kind of felt like I was the same way, just being really confident. And we kind of bumped heads uh, every once in a while. But um, – I mean, that's just who he is. He's, he's a, he's a very confident kid and, and uh, he, 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 he can be like that because of how he works. Um, you know, he's, he's grown to just really inspire me and, and how you really should prep, uh, prepare for games. Um, I've, I've never seen him without his iPad watching film and it's like, it's crazy to me, but uh, I, I, uh, I'm glad that he's, that he's, you know, getting all the rightfully deserved attention that he's getting right now. And uh, very happy that he's with us. Hey, Troy, what's, uh, what's at stake Friday uh, in this kind of wackiest of all seasons for you guys? The, what are the implications for the team? Um, you know, I just think – I think that obviously Houston presents, you know, such a great opportunity for us. They're, they're, uh, they showed a lot, of, a lot of upside in their game uh, that they played last week. Uh, but I think it's just a great opportunity for us to just kind of show, show everybody that we're – you know, we're, we're capable of, of accomplishing great things this year. And, and uh, even though we had a little hiccup this past game, um, we're able to clean those things up and, and we're, we're still able to execute at a very high level. 
And, you know, Houston is, is a great team and we're excited for the opportunity. Troy, following up on, on Houston, you mentioned, you know, that they're a talented team, even though it's just one game. What did you see specifically from their offense? They put up 49 points and a come from behind win over Tulane. What stands out to you about what their offense can do? Uh, I would say the, the the first thing that pops into my head is just kind of the the adversity that they dealt with in that game as an offense, uh, throwing the pick six, and then just just kind of the turnovers that they had, and really the fact that they weren't even shook from that. They, it seemed like it seemed like they didn't dwell at it at all. They knew that they could they could bounce back and put up you know a, a good amount of points, and and that's that's something that you want in an offense and. Uh, that's why that's why I think this is going to be such a good challenge for us is because you know we could we could uh, be dominating early in the game and, and that could mean nothing to them they're, they know their confidence their confident squad confident offense and, and they they know that they're uh, capable of doing really good things you guys haven't been on the road since week one are you guys looking forward to, to getting out on the road and, and kind of experiencing that for the first time in several weeks yeah we uh we love road games uh, it's a it's a cool opportunity, cool, cool to kind of just travel around the world. But uh, especially to Texas, I think it's going to be fun. And uh, uh, I'm hearing that there's going to be fans at the stadium. And uh, that's, you know, that's kind of something that we've been wanting all along. So uh, we're excited to, to kind of have that different experience this year. And, and uh, we're gonna, we'll, we'll take advantage of it. Troy, I wanted to ask about the interception you had against UTSA. When uh, Harris released that pass, did you expect it to go as high and awkward as it did? Uh, no, honestly, I didn't. And and I kicked myself because I actually slipped on that same play, whereas if I had kept my feet, I, I would have been able to catch it and, and, run, and run and get some yards. But uh, thankfully, I just caught it and, and was able to execute that turnover. I also wanted to ask you, in terms of Micah Harper, he's a true freshman. He's made two career starts now. You've been mainly playing on the side of the field that he's been on, it seems like, so far this year. What about him impresses you? Uh, just his tenacity. He's a, he's a physical player. Uh, I mean, you've seen, you've seen his plays coming downhill and, and making really good tackles. Um, I mean, obviously, as a freshman, you'll make, you'll make a mistake here or there, but he's been very, he's been very confident in himself, and he doesn't really dwell on on those mistakes that he makes and uh you know really proud of what he's been able to do as a true freshman hey it's uh chris with espn i wondered if you could put in context what this season's been like for you guys you go from having to build a schedule you haven't played in front of any fans yet and here you're, you're you got a shot on national tv to the shortest show the country hey you guys you know even though it's been a little bit surreal you guys are, are, are for real yeah, I mean it's it's been a, a roller coaster of emotions, and uh, you know we there was a point in there was a point in time when we we thought you know are we even going to be able to play this year, and that was something that kind of worried us, and uh, uh, we we just we just continued to have faith and kept our head down and grinded, and uh, uh, we knew that at some point the work would pay off, and uh, I think I think that's that's the reason why we've had so much success this year because of what we, what we did in the off season, regardless of what we were hearing. Um, I think that's, that's the reason we're having a lot of success this year. And, you know, we, we were disappointed that we didn't get to um, have the schedule that was planned for us, but we looked at, we looked at the new schedule as every game an opportunity to show the, to show the country that we were a really dominant team and we're, and we're very good. 
And uh, I feel like we've done a really good job of that so far. And it's just about, you know, can, being consistent and, and maintaining that, that, uh, uh, that pride. Yeah, Troy, I wanted to ask, you guys had a really good outing in terms of stopping the run again against UTSA, but the passing game has seemed to where you guys got carved up there. Is there any particular reason you can put your finger on as to why you guys struggled in terms of stopping UTSA's passing game? Um, you know, I think, I think it was, it just came down to the little things. Um, there's no, you know, one thing that I could pinpoint as to why, you know, that happened, but, uh, we just gotta, we gotta, you know, minimize the, the MAs, the missed assignments, the, uh, just, the, the we just gotta do the little things better. Uh, and, and, and I think if we do that, uh, we're in a much better position to, um, to play well. And I think we, I think that's just something we lacked last game. Uh, we let, we, we, uh, we lost a bit of focus and, and, uh, kind of got caught up in, you know, what happened before, you know, the, the last series and, and, uh, we, we just can't let that happen. We gotta, we gotta tune those things up this week and, and, uh, get ready for, for Houston. All right. There's a little defensive talk with Troy Warner. Now, how's the offense going to get back on track and start hanging half a hundred on people again? And you can say, wow, that's a lot of points. Houston's pretty good. Remember that game they played down there? It was like 48-47 or was it 47-46? That was crazy. That was a crazy. That was a, uh, that was during the Taysom Hill era. That was a crazy game. I don't know that we'll get that, but we ought to get some points and some, uh, some big plays. Here's Gunnar Romney talking Cougar football. BYU wide receiver Gunnar Romney on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Yeah, Gunnar, first off, uh, how are you feeling health-wise? I know coming and then that UTSA game, you had a hard hit uh, on you that sidelined you for a little bit. Uh, how are you feeling with the wrist, shoulder, all of that? How, how are you feeling? Yeah, I feel good. It's, it's football. You're always going to have a couple bumps and bruises. Uh, you're super sore after the game, but no major injuries, just feeling a little sore, but ready to get back into it, ready to work all that off this week. Gunnar, I wanted to ask about, uh, you know, the leadership leadership role that you personally have. Uh, Coach mentioned that you've never been a guy that loves to talk or, you know, kind of have that necessarily be a huge vocal presence. But in a game like last week and coming off of a game like that last week, uh, I imagine you still feel a responsibility to the team to step forward and lead and kind of help the team, uh, you know, overcome not the best game. So how do you do that? How do you address that for the team in your own way? Yeah. You know, like you said, I've never been a super vocal guy. I'm not really the type of person to, you know, yell and get people fired up in, in that way. But I think another way is just kind of taking people aside individually and, you know, saying, Hey, like we need to see this out of you or, you know, just bringing that energy and practice and making sure everybody feels kind of that intensity and that urgency. And, you know, it doesn't have to be like raw, raw, you know, all this stuff, but it can, it can be just in, in small conversations and stuff like that. And you just have to kind of take that role over and, you know, really just express uh, what needs to get done. How do you see guys responding now after playing that game? It was a win, which was important, but how do you see the response? You know, I think, I think it was kind of, uh, I think we're seeing it in a positive light. I think everybody kind of is uh, playing with a little, or at least this week is feeling like we have a little chip on our shoulder again. I think people are, are kind of, uh, it was kind of not, not necessarily a wake up call because we did get the win and, and we, we are moving forward. But I think everybody kind of is, is ready to go because we have a short turnaround this week. So everybody's kind of, kind of feels that urgency of that turnaround that we need to have this week. Uh, yeah, Gunnar, I mean, just four games into the season now, the offense is, is um, continuing to, to, to move the ball pretty well. What, what has been the biggest difference from last year, especially with you guys at receiver, given uh, the number of new guys out there? 
Um, you know, I think it's just everything is clicking right now. This is a uh, we have all our offense is super experienced. So most of the guys that are playing and contributing have have a couple years under their belt. And so I think that experience and also that experience helping the younger guys kind of fit into the system and you know knowing what's expected. It's really it's really helped us all mesh together and click really well. You know, the play calling has been really good. Everybody's sort of stepped up um, and is filling their role really good on the offense. I think just overall our line is, is playing amazing. We have running backs that are running super hard. Our quarterback is getting the ball where it needs to be. You know, receivers are making plays. So I think it's just everything is coming together really well right now. And, and what have you seen from Zach to, to step up to an even higher level? You know, I think Zach is just really comfortable right now in the offense. I think he's finally, you know, taking the next step of, of being – you know, sort of the the commander of the offense. He's he's sort of really taking taking that next step, and he just he seems so much more confident and poised this year. He just seems like he's he's a lot more comfortable, and he's able to. It, it feels like the game is slowing down for him, and he's not really rushing anything this year. And he's he's just playing. He's playing outstanding. Gunner, um, this would at least from the outside looking in appear to be maybe the biggest challenge you guys have faced so far this year. How excited are you guys for this matchup on Friday? Oh, it's going to be really fun. You know, it's a Friday night game, so we're going to have the whole country watching. Um, it's, it's our first game with fans. So that's going to be, it's going to be different because it's been kind of weird these last couple of games, but everybody's really excited. We're, we're fired up because we've been hearing everything about, Oh, your strength of schedule is this or whatever. But you know, we're excited to go out, and Houston's a good team, so we're ready for the challenge. We're ready to to amp it up this week. You mentioned, you know, this will be the first game you guys will play in front of fans, and I'm not sure exactly how many. It obviously won't be to capacity, but how much are you guys just looking forward to having that natural ambiance that only fans in the stadium can give? I'm really excited for it, especially for, for families that haven't had the opportunity to see it yet. But, you know, we've, we've had to create our own energy on the field these last couple of games. And, you know, at, at times, it, even though we're, we're all fired up on the sideline, at times it's still quiet in the stadium. And it still feels kind of, kind of eerie, kind of awkward. And so just that, that noise and just that, that competitiveness that the crowd brings, I, I'm, I think the whole entire team is really excited to have that. Gunner, Kalani talked about your maturation process as a wide receiver. He said when you were a freshman, you came in, you were running extra routes. It's your hamstring. You would take two days off and get right back to it. I want to ask you about your own journey to being a junior now and your maturation process here. Yeah, um, I think, you know, like you mentioned, health is a big part of it. I think I've learned to listen to my body a lot better. And I've learned to, you know, take care of that. That's one thing that the training room and the trainers and staff here have done a great job of teaching me and you know, I've learned how to take care of that a lot better with rest and with recovery and stretching and stuff like that. But I think a big part of the, of the maturity is confidence. I feel like my confidence is, is at an all-time high. and I'm playing fast and the game is just coming a lot easier to me now just because of that experience and just because of, you know, that preparation that I've done. And so I think that's that combined is, is really what, what got to me where I'm at right now. Hey Gunner, so coach mentioned how um, you were an integral part of making sure the wide receiver group didn't see a dip in production after losing the three seniors last year. I guess what would you say was what really clicked and what really made sure uh, that that group continued producing at the same level? No, I think, I think it's just the leadership of the group. You know, we have Dax Mill and Neil Powell who have played a significant amounts the last couple of seasons. Both of them are, are great, great athletes and great football players but their leadership is really what really stands out. You know, they don't let some of the younger guys slack. And even, 
you know, during the summer and stuff, when we weren't together, we were always hopping on, you know, Zoom calls to go over the playbook with the younger guys. And we were always staying on each other's back to make sure we were working out, even though, you know, we weren't, we weren't together as a unit. But just the, the leadership all around is we've been holding each other accountability, uh, holding each other accountable. And just that, um, that sort of meshing as a, as a receiving core, I think, is what's really helped us succeed this year. Gunner, Pete Thamel from uh, Yahoo doing something on Zach, kind of from the from the big picture for a broader audience than your kind of normal uh, no, normal uh, BYU fan base. And can you give me a little sense of him as a person, what, what he's like? He's obviously you know grown into a big spotlight where you guys have a lot of eyeballs on you now, and it, it starts with him. Just give me a little sense of uh, who, who he is as a person and just you know day to day what he's like. Yeah, you know Zach's one of my best friends. I've I've lived with him for for a long time, and he's just. He's a, he's a funny dude. He's one of the hardest workers I know. You'll never not see him, you know, thinking about football or, or, you know, carrying a football around or doing anything like that. But he's just always has energy, just a super energetic kid, just super, super friendly, just always is, is trying to talk to you, always having a conversation, just, you know, it's never a dull moment with him. He's always, he's always bringing that energy. You got maybe a story or two you can uh, share that why he's funny or what you guys bust his chops about that illuminates his personality a little bit. So uh, just living with him, there was a couple other dudes. Like I'm, I'm a really quiet person, and a couple of other of our roommates, you know, don't really talk. And so when we were together, like you know, in the kitchen, like making food or whatever, it'd be dead silent. And then as soon as Zach comes in there, like the conversation just sparks up instantly, just because he's he's always just super energetic and just loves to talk and just loves to to have that that uh, camaraderie, you'd say. And so he just always is just. 24-7, just going going crazy. All right, there is Gunnar Romney. And when we come back, we'll talk uh, BYU and Pac-12 football. Chris Lowe from ESPN, senior writer covering college football, joins us next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Seven five and twelve eighty the zone. We're joined now by Chris Lowe, ESPN College Football senior writer. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Chris, good morning. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. So we couldn't help but notice uh, you're on a BYU Zoom call. And I'm curious, you're obviously working on something here. And I'm curious, is BYU a st- 
story because they're a really good team? Are they a story because uh, about half of college football isn't playing right now? I just think they're a good story, period. I mean, think about what a weekend August, what they have about three or four games on their schedule. And um, give them credit, give the administration credit for putting together a schedule and and just a matter of weeks. But those kids have hung in there. I mean, think about putting yourself in those kids' position at that point. You're working. You've been working all off season. You're getting ready to go to the practice field. And you've got, at that point, your schedule's crumbling. you only got three or four games. But and give Kalani credit, you know, for keeping that team together and continuing to work. You get to this point. Granted, the schedule hasn't been killer to this point. But outside this last week against UTSA, they've been dominant. You know, in their first three games, and here they are 4-0 with a chance. And clearly, I think Houston's their toughest test to date on Friday, the game on the road. But uh, this is a team that I don't think, you know, you would say that you're out of your mind to think they could go unbeaten this year. And that's uh, regardless of what the schedule is or isn't, that would be a pretty uh, pretty impressive accomplishment for a team that, you know, <laughs> again, didn't even have more than three games back in August. Yeah, it really is such an unusual story and a most unusual season, obviously. How much, you've already alluded to, that the schedule hasn't been world beaters, we understand that, but how much does Houston this week, followed in a few weeks by Boise State, and then at the conclusion of the season, San Diego State, do for you? Well, it gives gives BYU a chance against quality teams to show that the way they've looked for the most part this year is who they are. You know, Zach Wilson's had a great start. Uh, you know, I think the way he's been more consistent, the way he's taking care of the football, shows you know how much he's improved as a player. And clearly, there's a lot of confidence in him, the guys around him. But to go on the road and beat a Houston, to go on the road and beat a Boise State, um, you know, and follow it up and beat San Diego State. Now, I'm not dissing Western Kentucky here. Texas State, because as we saw last week against UTSA, anything can happen. And I think this year, as you look around college football period, we've already seen some weirdness, and we're going to see some more weirdness because of how little time teams have had on the practice field together. Um, It's just it's a given. So, But I think to to go on the road again, and and if they can get it done against Houston and Boise State and beat San Diego State, those are three quality teams, and I think would give BYU – certainly much more credibility, you know, if they do go unbeaten, you know, to beat teams of that stature. So that would put BYU at 10-0, and assuming all the games get played and they don't lose one to COVID, and assuming that Tom Homa doesn't add another game, which Thomas said, you know, he's still open to, it could happen. But assuming they're at 10-0 and and it's the schedule that we see in front of us now, a lot of Cougar fans would like a big bowl game, a quality opponent, do you think they have any shot at a playoff or a New Year's Six or money, power, relationships, tradition come into play and they're on the outside looking in? Uh, New Year's Six, possibly. No way with the playoff. I mean, unless we just have other chaos and everybody's got three losses, you know, or, or more. Uh, the Big Ten beats up on each other, the SEC. I, I just don't see what that schedule is. It's, no, it's not this and BYU. I mean, I, and, and who knows? I mean, what if they go in and they just are just completely dominant the rest of the way and beat everybody by three or four touchdowns? 
you know, then they get they at least put themselves in a position to be in a conversation at that point. But I think realistically, I don't think they would have much chance in the playoff bid. But I think a New Year's Six bowl game would be realistic. And uh, I think so much of it depends, too. This year, more than ever, I think style points are going to be critical because everybody's playing, for the most part, conference-only schedules. And so, you know, once we get into to November and even on into December, I think a lot of, pe- a lot of people are going to look back and say, well, how do they look against this team or what do they do against that team? So that's why, again, the three teams you just mentioned, they're, they're still on BYU's schedule, the three best teams, Houston, Boise State, and San Diego, San Diego State. I think for BYU to have a chance at some of these things you asked, not only do they need to win, but they probably need to be impressive in winning. Same thing for the Pac-12. If they have a 7-0 and team, does that 7-0 and team need style points to get into the playoff? Yeah, and they, and they probably need to be – they're going to need some help. They're going to need – you know, and you're already sort of seeing this a little bit in the Big 12. You know, Oklahoma and Texas, I mean, both of those teams have looked at – I mean, they can't stop anybody. You know, and they look pretty average. You know, so if you continue to have carnage in that league, you know, Oklahoma State's unbeaten, but they've still got their toughest games coming up, then that helps the Pac-12. Um you know, I don't, I don't see anybody in the ACC beating Clemson. I really don't. Maybe Notre Dame, but you can almost pencil Clemson in in the playoff one spot. Somebody in the SEC is going to get in. The champion's going to get in. You know, do two in the SEC get in? What, what? Let's say, what if Georgia and Alabama play a really good game this weekend and one wins, and then they play again in the SEC championship game and the other wins? I'd, I'd have to think that both of those would be in. You know, and, and the big. Ten's going to crank it up this coming weekend. I, I still think Ohio State might be, and we're going to find out on the field, might be player for player the most talented team in college football. I and mean, they've got to go out and prove that. So it's hard for me to believe that they, or certainly the Big Ten champion, doesn't get in. So that doesn't leave a lot of spots for the Pac-12. I mean, I think it, at the very least, it's got to be a, an unbeaten Pac-12 team that has a chance. But I think playing so few games is probably going to hurt them. So is Oklahoma State going to get beat a couple times? Because everybody else in the Big 12 has. And, you know, two losses typically, maybe this year will be different, but typically two losses knocks you out. And Oklahoma State's already the Big 12's last threat. Yeah, I, I think everybody in the Big 12 will have two losses. when it's all said and done. Now, at least one, but I think there's a good chance they'll have everybody will have at least two. And as I said a minute ago, if you have that type of carnage in the Big 12, then you know, it's hard for me to see them getting in. But what if what happens in the SEC if everybody beats up on everybody? We've already seen some crazy things happen in the SEC. Alabama's not certainly not what they used to be defensively. You know, Ole Miss made them look just embarrassingly bad last week. So what if they lose a couple games? What if Georgia loses a couple more? Um, or I say a couple more. What if they lose a couple? You know, I think this year more than ever, because of all this happened, and so little practice time on the field together, no spring practice for most of these teams, uh, that you're going to see things happen and outcomes and results that we just – 
didn't see coming in August. And I think we've already seen some of that. We're going to see some more of that. And I don't think anybody's going to be immune to it. And uh, if you said who's the team right now in the Power Five leagues, I think that I would go to Vegas and put the most money on that's going to be unbeaten, I'd say Clemson, just because I don't see anybody in the ACC that's on their level. But outside of Clemson, you know, I, I would be very surprised if anybody else in the Power Five leagues gets through unscathed. I was just going to ask you, you know, we know in the Pac-12 they have a lot of high-flying offenses, and the Big 12 just has not played defense, it seems like, for a number of years. But, you well, know, that Alabama defense really, right really surprised me. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I know. Is, is, is this a trend? The right now either. Right, I know. And and that, that Alabama thing just shocked me. Is this something that we can expect? You know, I think the game has changed one. It's faster. It's spread out. Uh, teams are using tempo better than they ever have. It's hard now for defenses to get lined up. You can't substitute and play substitution. Situational football on defense is easy as much as you used to. Uh, I think that's part of it, and I think the other part of it is that we just this it's this year. You know, I think the defenses. I've heard talk to coaches who aren't completely you know completely in agreement with me on this, but I think defenses maybe a little bit ahead this year because you just you know offense is a lot about timing and precision and quarterbacks working all offseason with the receivers and, you know, being on the same page. I think that's a part of it. You know, ball security, teams haven't tackled and hit as much this year as they have in the past. So we've seen some turnovers and some sloppy play. You know, I go back to some of the penalties we've seen, you know, just dumb penalties, pre-snap penalties. I think all that is sort of a result of, of a year unlike anything we've seen in the preseason and no spring practice. So I think it's all the above. And it's, um, you know, it's just, again, it's changed. And you're going to see that. You're going to see a team like Ole Miss. And let's let's give Wayne Kiffin some credit. The guy is phenomenal when it comes to calling plays and getting offense ready. And and he thinks outside the box. You know, but for, for Ole Miss to put up that many points and that many yards, on a defense like Alabama that's recruited as well as they've recruited over the years tells you how much the game has changed over the last few years. So one thing that's changed this year, the shoe's really on the other foot with conference schedules. A Pac-12 team that usually plays nine is only going to play seven. An SEC school that usually plays eight is playing ten. You know, the two leagues that play eight conference games, the ACC and the SEC, they get into the tournament every year. The leagues that play nine, the Big Ten and the Big 12 and the Pac-12, they're the leagues who usually take a hit and have somebody left out. And the, and the Big Ten's fortunes changed when they went from eight to nine games. So are we going to see in the long run the ACC and the SEC think, hey, this playing more conference games, this really works, and their TV partners are going to say, hey, this really works, we're getting good ratings with these games? Or are they going to go back to gaming the system and playing eight conference games? Well, I mean, some, some there are some advocates for playing more league games in the SEC. Nick Saban, for several years, yep. has said we ought to play at least nine. Now, skeptics say, well, of course you would say that. He's got the best team. But he's advocated for that for a while. Um, I think most of your mid-tier teams in the SEC don't want to do that because they think it would hurt them as far as being eligible for a bowl game. 
if they went to nine games. You know, the biggest problem with some of the Pac-12 teams is you've seen some really good teams over the last few years. Uh, take Oregon last year. Oregon was a good football team. They went to Pac-12. But you know what killed them is they lost that first game to Auburn. You know, a, a, a neutral site game, and Auburn ended up being okay last year, but they weren't in the SEC championship game. I think it's those kind of losses out of conference that the committee, the playoff committee, looks at and fairly or unfairly holds against the Pac-12. But um, I'd like to see, personally, you asked me my opinion, I'd like to see all the leagues play more league games. I don't think it's representative, it's representative enough in the SEC that they only play eight games. And you have schools, heavyweights like a Georgia and Alabama, that don't play very often. And I'd like to see Georgia and Alabama play, if not every year, every couple of years. And you go long stretches in the SEC because of the scheduling format where teams like that don't play a lot. Yeah, absolutely agreed on that one. You know, there's talk about the colleges, and obviously we'll just deal with football since this is what we have you with right now, that they'll be granted, the players, the athletes will be granted a one-time transfer situation here in time for the 2021 season. We already see transfers being such a big deal. Uh, Going forward, what type of impact do you think the one free get-out-of-jail transfer card will have, what effect it will have on college football? Uh, first of all, I would say that with the way we've seen players' voices heard more so than ever in college sports, it's more just a move in that area. And I, and I think probably in theory it's good. I mean, if a kid has a situation at a school, you know, it's just not working out or it's, it's not what works for him or, or he's unhappy or needs to get back closer to home, then I think kids should be able to transfer you know, and, you know, coaches come and go. And I understand they're employees, but they come and go. And they're also, you know, vulnerable in that they could get fired, too. But I also think the other side of this is, does it become a little bit of a version of free agency? You know, we're going to see kids that, you know, if your moves say, if, if the kids move from corner to free safety, for instance, he says, you know what? I'm not a safety. I'm a cornerback. I'm going to go somewhere else where I can be a cornerback. Is that a reason for a kid to be able to transfer without having to sit out a year? Or if he gets mad at his position coach because he thinks his position coach is coaching him too hard. And I'm not talking about abusing him or bullying him and that kind of stuff. That's There's no place for any of that in any, in any sport. But does it give a kid an out just because there's something he doesn't like? You know, there's something that is happening within the team that he feels like is not best for him, you know, so I'm going to pick up my ball and move a place somewhere else. I mean, I, that's the part that I'm a little skeptical about. But you guys know this. Anytime you change rules and there can be four or five things that you look at, like kids having the flexibility to transfer something that's legitimately not right, that you say, this is, this is good. These three or four things are really good. But there's always that unintended consequence that maybe we – don't think about or we we don't fully wrap our hands around that two or three years down the road you say wait a minute now well we really have open pandora's box here he's chris low you can read him at espn.com college football senior writer chris we appreciate a few minutes talking college football thanks for coming on with us you bet guys thanks for having me
There's Chris Lowe, senior college football writer from ESPN.com. We're going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. A battle of unbeatens in the NFL, Buffalo and Tennessee, and a couple of uh, baseball playoff games, league championship series. We'll get to those coming up. Stay with us.